Well, please turn with me uh, this morning to Ephesians chapter 5. The book of Ephesians chapter 5. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savour. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking, nor jesting which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. We're looking, friends, this morning at these seven verses, God willing, and my subject for this morning is imitators of God imitators of God. That is what Paul and uh, God is calling him, us through Paul and through these words to be, to follow him, to be Im imitators of him. For there we start, verse 1, be ye therefore followers of God. Well, that doesn't sound too bad, does it? Be a follower of God. The Lord Jesus said, follow me. Well, we understood what that means. It does, it's not so startling, but the word follower here actually signifies something a little bit more. The word follower here means an imitator, a mimic. And what Paul is saying is, be a, fo be a, be a follower of God, be an imitator of God, be a mimic of God. Well, that's amazing, isn't it? That's an astounding statement, uh, really, uh, to say. And a big demand that he's asking of believers. And we may think, Right at the very start, as we begin looking at this, well, that's a big ask, isn't it? To ask us to be like God in this world. After all, we live in a fallen world. We live in a world where there is so much trouble. We live in a world where day by day, there seems to be one difficulty or another. We face so many provocations from other people. And yet, you're asking me to be like God? You are asking me to resemble God in the midst of these things. I have so many struggles. I have so many annoyances in life. So many people who rub me up the wrong way. And you are saying to me, in the home and in the workplace, I must be an imitator of God. I must be like Him. Yes, this is what Paul is saying. And this is what God, the Holy Spirit, is saying uh, to us. This is our sanctification, friends. This is the end, the aim of our sanctification, that we may be like God, that we may be like Christ. This is the goal that we are aiming for. Yes, we will never attain it completely and perfectly in this life, and yes, we'll never ever be, as I'll mention in a minute, like God, like God is. Otherwise, we would be equal to God, and that can never be. But in some measure, we must be seeking uh, to make daily progress in sanctification, daily aiming and ever remembering, uh, keeping before our, our minds, this is the thing that God wants from me, 
this is the thing that will be pleasing to him when he sees me trying and making an effort to work to be like him, to be like him, to resemble him in the midst of all those difficulties. Your friends, your unsaved friends, your unsaved relatives, your unsaved colleagues, well, they, don't, they won't see God. Creation, in a sense, tells them there is a God, but they don't see God in the creation. You are the best representative that they have. When they see you, and that they will think that you will remind them of God. If your behavior is godlike, if my behavior is godlike, it will remind them of, of, of God. And it, because it will be so different. The way that the believer behaves and reacts to those provocations and the things that he does and the way he communicates, as we saw last week, why is he not speaking dirty language? Why doesn't he engage in dirty jokes? Why isn't this believer laughing? And look at the kindness that we see uh, in him. What an impact, friends, that makes. There's a selflessness about that person. Why is that? It's not like all the others. Everyone's in it for themselves. Everyone's advancing their own cause and their own name and speaking about the great things that they have done, that promoting themselves. But that, that man, that woman, not doing that. Why is that? Well, it might bring people to realize that there is a God and they see our lives. And that's what we desire uh, people to, to, to see. And so this is what Paul is uh, getting at. Be an imitator, mimic uh, the Lord. And it's an astounding thing that we are called to do. But in what sense are we then to imitate a God? Well, this verse really probably should be joined with the previous verse, uh, which we looked at previously in verse, verse 32. Be ye kind, one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. In this sense, be like God. He's kind, he's tender-hearted, Oh, kindness, friends. Do you remember what we said? May I just remind you about kindness? It's not just an internal feeling of good towards others. It's an outgoing feeling. It's an action. Like the Lord, He was very kind. And he remember how He said to that blind man, what can I do for you? What would you have me to do for you? Kindness is like that. It's always asking or thinking, what can I do for others? What can I do to help you? What can I do to make uh, things, in a sense, better uh, for you. Kindness is like that. God is like that. Tender-hearted, uh, pitying, and forgiving, as we considered last week. God has forgiven us uh, so much. We want to be like God. What a testimony to others when they say, this man, this woman has forgiven and freely forgiven the grudges and the things he should be uh, he should be peeved. He should be unhappy with the way he's been treated. But he's, he's different. He's a forgiven, forgiven, forgiving others. And that's what we want, to be like God, to forgive quickly, especially those small things which are, are not really uh, worth making a big thing about. Incidentally, uh, we could also say uh, that uh, in, in terms of these, the breakup of these verses, in case you're unaware, uh, verses and chapters were never originally in the Bible. It were never the Bible never came to us with chapter and verses as you have now uh, before you. This was a later edition, just to help us 
uh, to find our way around the Bible. So they're not inspired, and so sometimes they do make mistakes, as we think in the case uh, here. So we can look back to the previous verse, but we can also say a connection with the verse after, in verse 2, walk in love as Christ also hath loved us. Be loving as God is like Him. Be like Him in, in love. Well, this is, as we said, a huge uh, challenge uh, for us uh, uh, to undertake, and yet it is something that we, we cannot neglect, but something that we must carry out. Now, we cannot mimic God in all His attributes. The theologians, well, they would split up God's attributes, uh, categorize them into two uh, uh, groups. One we would call His incommunicable attributes. Certain attributes and characteristics, well, they belong to God alone. And He doesn't share those attributes with anybody else. They're particular to God. So we can think about His self-existence. God is the only one who is self-existent. He is the only one who depends on nobody else for His existence. He's the only one. We depend on other people, but He is the only God. Uh, He's the only one who is independent, truly independent. God alone is eternal. He has no beginning. He has no end. We cannot fully grasp this. We are creatures of time. We know our birthday. We came into existence at a certain point. And we know that when we die, well, we, we, we don't die. We won't eternally die. We will go on forever. But we never had an eternal existence. There was that moment in time. But God has always been there. And God will always be there. He's eternal. And then we can think about His omniscience, that He knows all things. He's almighty. He can do anything that He chooses to do. Nothing is hard for Him. Nothing is difficult for Him. He is everywhere present. We are limited to time. You can only be here now. I can only be in this pulpit now. I cannot be elsewhere. God is everywhere present. Every corner of this world, every corner of the universe, uh, God is present there. Nowhere that we can run from Him. So we cannot. These are attributes that we cannot imitate. We cannot copy. We cannot be like God in these. But then in the second group is where we want to think of where we can follow, and that is God's communicable attributes. In, in other words, those that He does share with others. We think when He created a man and woman, well, he, we, we know He created us in God's image. You and I and everyone, uh, every human being is created in God's image. God, we could say, has shared some of His characteristics with each one of us. So you see, even people, everyone seems to have some bit of wisdom, has the ability to love, has the ability uh, to even be kind, even somebody who is very evil in, in, in the world, and somebody who is, uh, maybe we would say, was a very wicked person. Christ says, well, they're, they're kind to their own family. There's some goodness that is still uh, there. And then we see that. We see people being merciful, charitable, giving money to charity, and uh, concern, some pity uh, is there. Loyalty. Some husbands and wives are loyal to each other all, all their life, and it's good to see. Truthfulness. Even though there is so much lies, people still also tell the truth. 
And these are things that uh, we are made in God's image. In that sense, he has shared some of his attributes. These are his attributes, and he shares it in part with us. And these are the areas, these are the characteristics where we as believers are to focus on and to try and grow on and to be like God in, to be good as he is good, to be kind as he is kind, to be holy and righteous as he is holy. He said that in First Peter, be holy for I am holy. Be merciful as your father also is merciful. And be, be like God in the way he treats his enemies. The Lord said uh, that the father is kind to the unthankful and to the evil. He makes the sun to rise and the rain to fall on the just and on the unjust. That's how God treats those who are against him, those who never thank him, those who don't believe in him. He's kind to them. And that's how he, he wants us to also express kindness and undeserved kindness to those who are around about us. So be imitators of God. As dear children, he goes on to say, as children who are dearly loved of God. Are you a believer here? You've come to Christ. You've repented of your sin. You've trusted in Christ. You're his child. You've been brought into his family. You're loved of him. You're dearly loved of God. You're a dear child of God. This, is, this, is, this should be the spur. This is the motive for us wanting to be like God because we are uh, his uh, children and he takes care of us. Each believer is precious in God's sight. Just like a, a, a parent, an earthly parent, knows all about his child, loves him, cares for him, thinks about him, wonders what he's doing, wonders if he's okay, is, con is so concerned for them, so the Lord knows perfectly well each one who loves him, each one of his children. And he provides for them, he encourages them, he comforts them when they need comfort, he, he leads them, he gives them wisdom when they need it, he teaches them so many things, he helps them in life when they call upon him. In so many ways, he demonstrates these things. So as dear children, well, we want to be uh, imitators of God. We see this, isn't it? We see this in, in, uh, in earthly life. A son, he much admires his father, maybe as a young boy, as he's growing up. He wants to be like his father. He looks up to his father. He respects him. And when the father maybe is not around, uh, I think this still happens today, but when the father's not around, maybe he will sit in the father's uh, chair and he will cross his legs like the father crosses his legs, and he will fold his arms just like the f his father folds his arms, and he will speak to his siblings, his younger siblings, and just like the father speaks to the, si the siblings, he'll put on that tone of voice. He wants to be like his dad. Maybe sometimes he will he'll wear his father's shoes to, uh, to pretend to be his dad, and he stands up sometimes and speaks uh, just like his father would do, in front of the whole family. Oh, he, this is how he, he respects so much uh, his, his dad, his father. And so also 
Uh, we, as dearly beloved children, we, we admire our God. We admire our Heavenly Father. We want to be uh, like Him, uh, and we want to uh, follow in His ways and His footsteps. So that's the idea uh, here. And then he goes on to say, uh, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. How are we to love one another? By looking at this unparalleled example of Christ's love for us. A love, friends, where did it begin? When did Jesus begin to love me and all his, and you, his people? Was it when you became a Christian? When you, when you received him? Did he begin to love you at that time? No, friends. It was in eternity past. We looked at that in our first chapter in, in, in Ephesians. Christ began to love us in eternity past, which really could say he's always loved us. Even though we hadn't come into existence as yet, he could look forward and he could see us in his mind's eye. And he already, before we were even born, set his love upon us. And he came, as we know, in time out of love for his people and suffered and died on Calvary to take away their sins before we who live on this side of Calvary, before we even were born. Such love. And then in time, uh, he made himself known to us. He made known his love for us. And of course, going on into the future, into glory, well, we will come to know even more the depths, the length and the breadth and the height and the depth of his love towards us. Oh, friends, we are loved by the Father. We are loved by Christ. But look, Paul, Paul refers to this uh, sacrifice, uh, this offering and sacrifice that Christ made to God. What's he referring to? What's in Paul's mind here? Well, he's thinking of the Old Testament sacrifices. You know that the Old Testament sacrifices, they were all pictures, the offerings and the sacrifices that God put in place there. They were all pictures of what Christ would do, the Messiah would do, when he actually came. And they were training pictures. They were teaching the Jews at that time, this is the work of Christ. He's going to make an atonement for people's sins. That, that was central in all uh, those offerings and sacrifices. Well, one of those offerings was the burnt offering. And I think this is what is specifically in mind here in uh, verse 2. That the burnt offering rather than the sin offering. And we won't go into all the detail, but the burnt offering, well, that was... That was a, a slain uh, animal. Uh, it could have been a, a bull or a goat or a sheep, uh, but that, that uh, animal that was slain, and then it was laid on the altar, and in its entirety, apart from its skin, it would be burnt, and it would uh, be burnt, be burning for the whole night. But it was en the thing was, it was entirely consumed. That was also an atoning sacrifice, but it it spoke of one aspect, one particular aspect of Christ's work. And that aspect was of his dedication to God, of his entire dedication to God, of his entire obedience and perfect obedience that he was going to make 
to God when he came into the world, that he was going to live a perfect life, devoted to the Father and to the Father's will, uh, right from the moment he came into the world, when he stepped into this world, and he was born in that manger, day by day, year after year, until he, uh, he kept the law, and right until Calvary, right until those last moments when he said, it is finished, he was obedient uh, to the Father. It was a, a, a work that he was doing, yes, to please God, but also for us. This is another aspect of his atoning work. Not only what he did on the cross, which is marvelous and wonderful, where he paid, took away our sins, but also his entire life. His life of obedience is what comes into it. And this is, I think, what Paul is getting at because it's, it's emphasizing, Paul is emphasizing the love of Christ. Oh, he says, think of it, friends. Think of it, the love of Christ that he came down from heaven and he came and humbled himself. He took upon himself a human body. The God, the second person of the Trinity, took a a human body for us. And he lived, uh, lived in such a, a lowly way and in such an uh, often derided way, had to put up with so much when he was in this world. Why was he doing it? For us. Love made him do these things. Love brought him down. Love made him live that life. Love uh, made, uh, made him go all the way uh, to the cross. This is... Uh, what I think uh, is in mind here, the burnt uh, offering, the entire dedication of Christ. And friends, we need that for our salvation. Not only, the Bible says, we need forgiveness of all our sins, that's crucial, but we also need not, not only pardon, but we need righteousness. In order to get to heaven, we need righteousness. Two things we need, forgiveness and righteousness. Yes, Christ, believe in Christ, he'll take away your sins, but also look at his, his life, his life of obedience. Whoever believes in him, also his righteousness becomes theirs by faith. This is what we need to get to heaven. Otherwise, we can never get in if we don't have uh, that uh, righteousness. So, what love that Christ would do uh, these things for us, his whole earthly life for us, for you and for me, who are we, friends? That we, he should do such a tremendous thing for us. Well, he goes on to say uh, that he offered himself as an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Not that God the Father rejoiced to see his son's suffering. Not that he delighted in it, but it was pleasing to him to see what he was doing, to see the entire obedience and submission of the Son to the Father. Christ himself said, I do always those things that are pleasing in his sight. And what, when Christ was bearing our sins on the cross, and when he lived that perfect life, well, that was so pleasing to God, you could say it was like a sweet-smelling aroma to the Father. And of course, we're using human uh, terms here. To see Christ going to the cross without murmuring, without complaining, to see him uh, submitting like a lamb to the slaughter, 
He opened not his mouth. No retaliation from him under so much provocation. No complaints. Oh, this is, uh, was well-pleasing uh, to God. This was a sweet-smelling savor to him. In fact, there is a reference here also to Noah's uh, burnt offering. When Noah came out of the ark after the flood, in Genesis chapter 8 and verse 20, we read, Noah builded an altar unto the Lord and took of every clean beast and of every clean fowl and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a sweet savor. And the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake. After the flood, there is, uh, and this burnt offering was offered, then God said, no more curse. No, God will no more curse the ground. And well, uh, picture it, friends, with Christ. When God the Father sees Christ's burnt offering, sees the atonement that He has made for sinners, He says, whoever believes in Him, He will not uh, curse uh, even that person. They are free from that person, uh, from uh, sin. Well, friends, what a tremendous work the Lord Jesus has, Christ has done. And Paul says here, focus on that. See, think about these things. Think about Christ's love. Look, behold, and walk in love too. It's an outgoing love. It's an outward-looking love. It's a self-denying love, a self-giving love. It's a sacrificial uh, love. But then he goes on to tell us about some, some things which we also need to put away some very ungodly traits and, and actions. Verse 3, fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh a saints. And again, we need to know not only the positive things we have to do, but also the negative things, things we must put away and things we must uh, put on, as we've been saying. So let's just, again, it's quite a list and uh, I'll just mention uh, these things once again without going into any real depth. I don't think we need to. I don't think it's very edifying to do so. But let's mention some of these things, these words, fornication. Well, that refers to any kind of sexual sin. Uh, sin uh, before marriage, which has become so accepted today. Any illicit relationship after marriage. Adultery. Homosexuality, it covers any kind of sin outside, uh, of sexual sin outside of uh, marriage. In fact, they need, you may ask, why is Paul writing to these uh, believers? They're believers here. Why is he writing to them these things? Surely they know these things. Well, they do know, but they also need to be reminded. They were living in a sex-oriented culture in a pagan culture where people did all sorts of uh, terrible things. And we, we have to say, well, are we living in a similar kind of pagan culture today? Certainly very much sex-oriented. Wherever you, you read or look, it's very hard uh, not to evade the subject. It seems to be coming up everywhere. But uh, we also have, to have need of such an admonition like this, fornication, uncleanness, and covetousness, uh, to avoid, to put them away. So it's so prevalent here as well as then. Greek word here actually is, is the same word from which we get pornography. 
and porn. Uh, this word uh, fornication. All uncleanness. Well, that's referring not only to our actions, but also to our minds, what's going on in, inside of us. Some people say, well, if, if, you think, uh, if you think of something sinful, it's not sinful. It's not, it's not wrong. It's only when you carry it out, they say, that it is wrong. Now, we can't stop sometimes things happening to us, but we can stop dwelling on it. We can stop indulging it. We can prevent those things from laying nests. In, as, as Spurgeon said, you can't stop the birds from flying over your head, but you can stop them from laying nests on your head. And that's what we've got to do with our thoughts. Some people even say, and these are Christian teachers, or they even say, well, it's okay to have same-sex desires, but you mustn't carry it out. And so they permit these kind of lustful thoughts. No, friends. No, Paul is saying very adamantly and firmly, these cannot be named amongst Christians. All forms of uncleanness, pornographic material, explicit novels, movies even, uh, which really are, uh, go too far. You know what I mean. And then he names covetousness. What's that doing here? The love of money, the greed for more, a lusting for material things, even, even this is to be put away from saints and from our, our lives. In verse 5, he expands a little bit more. The covetous man is an idolater. He gives his money, uh, money or possessions the first place in his life. His affections are for these things. That affection should be for God. He should love God as a believer. This is... Uh, this is what he ought to do. Instead, he loves money, or it's an excessive, we should say, love of money, an excessive lusting for material things. In a sense, we could say it's self-idolatry. And that's why it's so wrong to put God to one, to, to one side and to worship and desire other things more than him. And he says, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. Let it not be um, once named. Let it not be mentioned. Don't mention it uh, in your gathering together. He's not saying don't talk about it. That's what we're doing now and that's what he's doing here. Don't talk. We have to talk about it to a certain degree. We have to mention these things so that we are cautioned, we are warned about them. But don't speak about it in an approving way and in ordinary conversation. Don't mention these things in a jovial kind of way, as if it's nothing really serious and nothing, nothing really big and to worry about. That's how the world treats it, trivializes these uh, sins these days, makes little of it. Before, well, you go back to Victorian times, yes, these things were happening, but there was shame. If it came out into the open, there was some measure of shame. But today... There isn't anything like that. People now are doing things openly, which a hundred years ago, they would have been ashamed uh, to mention these things. Well, Paul also says, or rather we could also think of these words, let it not be once named among you as sins that must be stopped immediately. 
Here is something that we can deal with immediately by, with God's help. Uh, not, don't let us, there be a suspicion of it in the, in the fellowship, in the congregation. Some of our sins, well, we have to fight the whole life long against it. Our pride and our self-love. But there are these kinds of sins, well, they can be done away, they can be uh, mortified, killed immediately. And this is also in Paul's uh, mind. Well, verse 4, neither foolish, foolish filthiness nor foolish talking. Filthiness, well, again, those shameful, referring to shameful things, obscene things, filthy language, again, d- dirty jokes, these kinds of things. Foolish talking, silly talking, empty words, words which do not profit, and jesting. Well, we looked a little bit at jesting last week. We're not saying there's a good humor, there's a place for humor. We need, we need some humor also in our lives, something to cheer us at times, and some people are very good at that. But this, this kind of jesting is a sinful jesting, coarse jesting, coarse words, we could say. Maybe also here we could think of sexual innuendos uh, that people make, inappropriate suggestive comments that are uh, come through in conversation. These kind of things the believer must avoid. They are, they are he says, they are not convenient. Well, just let me say a little bit about that. They, they are not convenient. And then verse 3, he says, as becometh a saints. They're not suitable. These kind of words and behavior are out of place with a believer's uh, profession and life. The word here means attire, as becometh saints, is referring to our dress. And you could think of it like in this way. Well, if you, sometimes you may see, well, a, a rather old person, sorry, but if you're a very, very aged person, but they're wearing young people's clothes. And you say to yourself, oh, that, that doesn't quite match. That looks, doesn't look quite out of place with that person. Or maybe I can personalize it. And the other day I was wanting to buy, or thinking of buying a pair of trainers, and I chose a particular color. And uh, my wife gently said to me, perhaps this other color is more suitable for you. In other words, suggesting it's more suitable for my age. And that was a, a gentle nudge in the right direction. Uh, but uh, you get what I mean. It's, it's, there are things which are becoming and suitable uh, for us according to our age or where we are in life. And these things are unsuitable for the believer. They're unbecoming for the Christian to be like that. And so we don't want to give way to these things, but rather giving of thanks. And we have so much uh, to give God thanks for and so much more profitable conversation to, make, to have. Well, here is something uh, also, verse, verse 5, as I just quickly come to a close. You know this, Paul says, of course they know it. And of course we as believers know this, that they who do such things, who are whoremongers, unclean people, covetous, uh, have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Of course we know these things, and therefore we shouldn't uh, do them. But uh, here, uh, verse 6, be careful, Paul says, don't let other people come in and tell you otherwise. Don't let any man deceive you 
with vain words and say to you, it doesn't matter how you live, it doesn't matter how you behave, it doesn't matter if you commit these sins, God will still accept you, God will still love you. There is no judgment for these sins. There are no consequences if you engage in these things. That's what people will try and do. That's what people are doing now. People are coming in and are saying, it doesn't matter what kind of sexual sins you do, God still loves you. God still accepts you. God won't judge you. God won't punish you. Well, friends, we see this sadly in the church. We see this in the Church of England where homosexual vicars are now accepted uh, in, in, in the church. We see this in some seeker-sensitive churches where they're saying these very things. Oh, everyone is welcome. No matter what your sexual orientation is, come, you're welcome. God loves you. You don't need to change. You don't need to repent of these sins. You can retain that lifestyle and God, come and worship God together with us. No judgment for you, they're saying. No consequences to living in this way. That's what the deception is. That's what the message is going out to the world today. You can live as you like. But Paul says here, let no man deceive you, for because of these things, because of these things, cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. There is a connection. God is provoked by our sins. God is provoked by these sins. Therefore, he is angry with people. It's not just a random uh, uh, anger that he has. There is a connection, friends. And so uh, we, are, we are told here, be aware of these things. Don't let any man deceive you. And verse 7, be not ye therefore partakers with them. Come out from among them and be separate. Don't mix. Don't unite with these other churches who subscribe to this kind of teaching, who deny the, the judgment of God and the holiness of God and the standards of God. Come out from among them. You can't come out from the world. This is in the world. But with other churches who, who, who follow this, this way of thinking, there must be a separation, friends. We must keep apart for the Lord's sake. So may the Lord help us then to be as He is, to be imitators of our great God and Father and Saviour. Let's close by singing our final hymn, number 476. Oh God, what offering shall I give? 476. <laughs>